Welcome into the Field Goals Podcast. I am Dan Viennes, and uh, we're going to talk Seahawks-Rams today, but also big picture because it is uh, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome a very special guest to the podcast today. I guess you could call this a crossover event, uh, <laughs> writer for Field Goals, host of the fantastic Cigar Thoughts podcast. Jackson Bevins joins me now. Jackson, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while, going back and forth. We finally um, we finally worked it out, and, and I like the timing yeah. of this. I like the timing of this because I, I feel like, well, I don't feel like. It's pretty clear we're at a pivotal point in this season for the Seahawks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, going into the bye, coming off, even coming off that Tampa Bay win or loss. I think it was, I know I did personally, and I think it seemed like the fan base as a whole was willing to kind of write that game off. Like, a very experienced Tampa Bay team, uh, a long road trip, a lot of variable variables there, a young team learning to deal with success. Then you go into the bye week and you come out rested, extremely healthy, home game against a team with three wins, and they and they lose uh, in 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 clunkerish fashion to the Raiders. Uh, just give me your general take, and and now that you've had a week to kind of chew on it, talk about it, digest it, analyze it. How are you feeling about what happened at Lumen Field on Sunday? I think that it was a reminder about where this team is. Hmm. Um, you know, we all came into this season. Well, most of us came into the season expecting something straddling a retooling slash full rebuild. We didn't know what to expect from honestly most of the positions on the roster, uh, especially once Jamal Adams got hurt in the first game. Hmm. Um, there were question marks at both tackle positions there's question marks at all three corner positions there's a question mark at weak side linebackers question mark at the safety that wasn't quandre Diggs. there's um you know question marks at running back like this this team was as undefined as it's been in over a decade and they those fuckers suckered us in by winning a bunch of games in a row yeah. and and making us think and, and I don't even think this is wrong necessarily, but making us think this team is like really good, like ready to compete now. And the thing that I always try to remind myself is like every year there are three to five teams that are really, really, really good, like objectively, hmm. and three to five teams that are really, really bad objectively. Yeah. And then the 24-ish or so in the middle are all really close. Like these, these are teams that are all made up of the best football players on the planet. I don't care if you're the three and seven Raiders or uh, honestly the nine and two Vikings. Like, I don't think there's a huge talent difference between those two, but there is so much variance week to week in the NFL. And sometimes great games from great players is enough. And we saw that with the Raiders, you know, we saw Max Crosby, Devonte Adams and Josh Jacobs take over that game down the stretch. Those are, those are three players who are better at their positions than probably any player the Seahawks have. Devontae Adams might be the best wide receiver on planet Earth yeah. still. Josh Jacobs has been the best running back in the NFL this season. Max Crosby is an elite pass rusher. Seattle doesn't have that talent. And when the game was on the line, Vegas went to their champions and, and it was enough. But are the Seahawks a better team than the Raiders? Yeah, I think so. I, I think they have a better roster. I think that they're playing better, but the gap's not that big. That being said, that was a really, really disappointing loss because even if Seattle wasn't in 
the playoff picture, being fully healthy, like you said, coming off the bye, like you said, um, having a home game against a very beatable team. It's e- even if Seattle was four and seven or four and six going into that game, you were hoping to see more than that. And for me, this season is still very much a where are we on the road to 2023, 2024? Yeah. How much more ground does this team need to make up on the Eagles and the Chiefs and the Bills of the NFL in order to be truly ready to contend? And and it's just a reminder, like, hey, they're still somewhere in the middle, you know? Yeah, I like that word. It's funny you talk about in the middle. Right before we we uh, we connected, I was looking at the current DVOA rankings, and uh, Seattle was was seventh a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they've dropped down to twelfth, and you talk about that middle group you know, in, in regards to parity and they're lumped in there with new England, Tennessee, Cleveland, green Bay, um, yeah. you know, Miami and the jets, the jets are three spots ahead of them. It's, it's, uh, to your point, it isn't the, as I hear you describe that matchup on Sunday, you know, the Raiders were also down a couple of their other elite type players, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller didn't play. Isn't yep. that the most demoralizing thing about that game? Is it coming out of a bye with an extra week to prepare Raiders have three guys you have to prepare for, and those three yes. guys beat us. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I really would have loved to have seen them just put one and a half guys on Crosby all game long. I think against that Raiders secondary, you can afford to keep in an extra blocker. Um, DK Metcalf has become excellent in the mid-range. Tyler Lockett is still having a great year. And they didn't use the tight ends much anyway, you know? And so if you're not going to throw, I think there was like six targets to the tight ends in this game. And if that's all you're going to do, then I think you got to just keep guys in to, to help block. You know, they didn't use the running backs in the passing game at all. We didn't see that, that, uh, that three tight end bunch formation at all. They just scrapped that Sunday and that seemed like something that would be appropriate. And then on defense, it's like, yes, Devontae Adams is scary as hell. Um, And what's crazy, here's something crazy, and I wish I had written about it, but I wasn't aware of it in the moment. Um, But as more and more info started to come out from the beat reporters and some of uh, the more analytics-minded folks, they did not throw to Devontae Adams when Tariq Woolen was covering him, which is crazy. And so the whole second half, Devontae was on the right side of the field against Michael Jackson. And in the last two drives, it was just that's that's the only person we're going to throw the football to because he's the, he's the best route runner in the league. And, you know, and he showed that and that one handed catch was insane. I mean, that's who he is. Right. You don't get too you don't get too caught up about the best in the world at something making a play like that. But, you know, that they're going to run the ball. And the inability to fill gaps after like the first quarter was really, really disappointing. And, and you had, you had so much time, you had all your horses and, and it was like the anti Belichick thing. I mean, you know, the hallmark of Belichick's coaching style is that he's going to make you box left-handed the whole game. He is just going to take away the best thing that you do. And if you're good enough to beat his guys, doing something that's not your strength, he'll, you know, tip your hat. Seattle didn't do that. And that to me was really, really frustrating. Do you think we caught the Seahawks feeling too good about themselves? 
maybe it's a very young team. I'm, I'm generally pretty hesitant to speculate on that stuff, but it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I just wonder in the, in the if, approach you talk about, like it seemed like they put too much trust in their tackles on offense and, and didn't adjust to that. Even when it was obvious that that they were struggling in that area throughout the game, didn't adjust yep. their coverage. You know, they just kind of stuck. I didn't see anything different coming out of halftime that we saw in the first half. Um, I, I agree completely. And, you know, I, I, I do think the idea, and this is just kind of a football writ large thing. Um, halftime's really short. I, I, I remember seeing an interview with Peyton Manning where he talked about the idea of halftime adjustments being overrated. It's, it's just not really a thing you have the time to do. You can tweak a couple of things, but that's what the whole week is for. Yeah. Because you understand what the other team is doing. The Raiders weren't doing anything differently than what they normally do. And, and so Seattle should be able to adjust throughout the game and, and they didn't. And I think the thing that was most disappointing for me, like the offense was awesome. The the run game is still struggling, but that was salvaged by two heroic touchdown runs. Um, The passing game has been excellent. They're they're number four in passing DVOA this year, which is just insane. Yeah, there's a lot of people that that are trying to pin that loss on Geno, though, but I thought, you know, a couple mistakes, but I thought he played great. Yeah, yeah, he had a couple of mistakes for sure, like any quarterback does. Uh, I do think there's some merit to – his play in crunch time is something that uh, Stacy Ross and I talked about yesterday on the cigar thoughts podcast uh, a fair amount, you know, Geno Smith has had six opportunities um, where it's basically score or lose in his careers in NFL, um, you know, or a, a Seahawks starter and he's over six in those opportunities. Yeah. Um, that's not to say he's has never been clutch because in a number of Seattle's wins this year, they've been up by one score going into their last drive and they've gone down and, and put the hammer down with a score to, to kind of clinch it. And I think that's clutch also, but you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to put a ton of weight into clutch performance because um, you're talking about small sample sizes, but fair or not, we credit quarterbacks with their ability to win in those situations. Um, And I, I tend to lean towards that's more fair than not. And if that's the case, then, the same responsibility has got to go on them uh, when you don't come through. And and look, Gene, Gino's the most accountable guy you could hope for uh, at quarterback. I'm sure he would agree with this, but it's, it's little things, right? Like, yes. Okay. It would have been awesome if DK's catch didn't get overturned. That was super frustrating, but you know what? Your opportunity in overtime was even better. Yeah. You, know, you only needed 20 yards in overtime. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. You know, you complete the first pass. You know, you, you can point to some things. You complete the first pass, the run gets stuffed on second down, and then um, Fant misses a chip block, and, and Crosby annihilates Abe Lucas, and, and that's that. Okay, yeah. yeah, sure. Is some of that stuff out of his control? Yes. Is the ability to check out of a run play when there's an eight-man box and you have single coverage on DK Metcalf for like the first time all game? And nothing Is about the running the game. <laughs> nothing about the running yeah. game led you to believe that play was going to work anyway. And so, you know, one of the things, and this yeah. is all speculation, like I, I really hope people aren't hearing what I'm not saying, but you do wonder if, you know, Gino has been so autonomous this year in terms of getting to the line early and uh, checking out of certain plays, um, identifying coverages and reads and adjusting the play call. 
and he's been really, really good at that. We've seen Seattle with some really explosive plays based off of audibles and line checks. Um, I wonder how much his performance down the stretch in this game and also like against the Falcons, um, mm-hmm. against, you know, against the Saints, uh, we're talking about these win or, you know, score or lose type drives how much of it is colored by the fact that he had two really bad interceptions and a really bad sack on the final drives of his three losses um, that were all one score losses, uh, you know, when he was quarterback last year. And I wonder if there is a fear of turning it over in that situation. Um, maybe not, maybe not, maybe it's just bad luck, but fact remains they're Oh, and six in that situation with Gino as a starter. And like yeah. I said in the article, for me, that's kind of the final infinity stone in becoming a really great quarterback. I agree with you. I was reading uh, this morning, Corbin Smith, who we both know, uh, kind of gave some pushback on that idea. And he talked about some drives to put games away like you touched on. And and I do like how he has responded from mistakes. Uh, you know, when you talk totally. about, when you talk about totally. the, the fumble against Tampa and the, the bad interception and the, the way he responds and puts drives together or the fumble last week, seven play drive to score after that. It's... Um, but I, I don't think, you know, you can justify it in any way that you want to. But until we see that drive, it's going to be a narrative. And that narrative is only only going to grow louder um, until he gets that opportunity. And I got it. It was right there for the taking on Sunday, too. As, as, oh, my God. As, it was on a platter. And, get, and yeah, I mean, get two first downs. It's not like you had to go 75 yards to win this thing. And if we do, if we pull that game out, we get a field goal. We win it in overtime. The discussion's so much different now. It's. Man, that Absolutely. man, that game was ugly. They almost blew that, but it's a win. And now, yeah. now people are talking about Sunday being a trap game and a must-win game. I put a poll up on, you know, do you think this is a must-win game? I knew what the results were going to be, but it was a hundred percent yes. People are afraid <laughs> of yeah. the Rams, and 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 a lot of it, you know, what it's like. You hear it, and you see the noise out there too. It's it's you know, uh, we're going to lose to the Rams on Sunday because. We used to lose to the Rams in the early 2000s, like, you know, stuff like that. But this is a yeah. decimated Rams team. Oh, my God. It's so a, uh, a mean, decimated it Rams like... team playing a pissed off Seahawks team with something to prove now. Do you feel like in any way, shape or form, this is still a trap game Sunday with no cup, no Allen Robinson, even, you know, no Aaron Donald, no Matt Stafford. This is this is a shell of what the Rams are. And they weren't playing I, well I before. Think... I think if they had snuck out a win against the Raiders, I would be a little bit more concerned. Yeah. Um, that would be the definition would, of a trap game. Yeah. I, I think that this team just realizes that they lost a game that they should have won. They should have won that game. They were up seven with, you know, three minutes left. You get any sort of stop. And I mean, we, we can quibble over the forward momentum call that overturned a fumble. Um, I, I think <laughs> yeah. that was the wrong call for sure. Yeah. Fact remains, there's, there's, you had more opportunities to put that game away on both offense and defense, and you didn't do it. And I think the Quandre Diggses and the Geno Smiths of this team are going to understand that guys like you just you got to step on the throat. And the nice thing is this team did it. They did it for a month straight. You know, they won by two scores for a month straight, which is something that Pete Carroll teams have really struggled with over the last five years is putting teams away. And so what you can't do in this game is let it be one score with seven minutes left. You cannot introduce that level of variance. You know, I I use the analogy of 
dice rolling yesterday. Um, you know, let's let's say that in order, let, let's say the chances of the Rams winning are just just for the sake of discussion are one in three. And and to be clear, that does that sounds like a lot. Um, it's it's rare that a team has less than a one in three chance of beating another NFL team. Mm-hmm. That's just the NFL. So let's say it's one in three. So let's say you got to get a five or a six on a dice roll in order to win. You got to get a five or a six more often than you get a one through four. Your chances of doing that on three dice rolls are infinitely higher than they are of doing it on a hundred dice rolls. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Seattle can't play this to shorten the game. Seattle is better with no Matt Stafford, no Cooper Cup, no Aaron Donald, no Andrew Whitworth. Like these guys that have made life hell for the Seahawks, they're all they're all gone in this game. And you can you need to get as many offensive plays. My my hope for this team, this game, is to run as many plays as possible. Hmm. Not to bleed the clock, not to shorten the game. You try and shorten the game when you're the underdog. You're trying to increase variance. You are trying to reduce the number of plays that you're on the field against a better team. When you're a better team, you need to be running as many plays as you can. And I really, really hope that that's what Seattle does. I hope that they come out aggressive. I hope that they, I hope that they come out of the tunnel acting like they're down 14, nothing right off the bat. Yeah. As much as we feel like we, we got to know who this team was up until this week, this is the game that will tell us who they are, right? It's, it's not about just winning. If they eke out, a late win, even if we get that that Geno Smith drive at the end, they win by a field goal and limp out of there and they steal one, the narrative's not going to be great. It's not going to be positive. No one's going to be excited about the stretch run. Well, yeah, yeah. I think it just I, – I, I think this is a, a game that has a chance to influence vibes a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, it was interesting for – you know, if the playoffs started right now, Seattle would be out of it. But – the beauty of having all four teams from one division be in playoff position, which the NFC East is right now, all four teams would be in is they all have to play each other down the stretch. So there are guaranteed losses for the giants and the commanders. Giants play play the Eagles twice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like these teams, there's guaranteed losses ahead of them. So Seattle's got a 70, 75% chance by most estimates of making the playoffs. That disappears if they lose. Yeah, it drops the into the so, high 30s, I think, if they lose Sunday. Yeah, so the Rams game is it, – it should be a statement game more than a trap game. You come out and you win this thing by 17 points, and you're feeling a lot better. You know, I would love to see them be hyper-aggressive for three quarters and then just run the shit out of the ball the way Pete Carroll wants to in the fourth quarter. Um, I want to see the defense attack uh, – you know, they had 20 sacks in that four game win streak yeah. and I, they've had one in the last two games. Yeah. That, that has to change. It's Not Bryce even getting Perkins close. Line. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's Bryce Perkins in the worst offensive line in football. So, um, and, and a bunch of receivers that don't get open early. Like this is, they don't even have Allen Robinson. You know what I mean? Right? Like it's yeah. going to be Van Jefferson, Ben Skoranek and Tyler Higby. Um, Seattle should put the clamps on this team. I like, I really need to see 31-13. I'll take that. Yeah. 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 Let's do this. You like to take a wide view of things. I think that's something you and I have in common. Um, no matter no matter how pertinent the the present day is and what's happening right now, 
Um, and this season has all been about the wide view. We thought it was a rebuild. We thought we were going to be looking quarterback in next year's draft. Where do you stand right now um, on Seattle at the quarterback position and how they address it moving forward? Yeah, you know, um, short answer is sign Gino and and roll this thing forward. Um, that's not a 100% take, uh, but it's probably like an 80%. 85% take. Um, if Seattle stumbles down the stretch and they finish eight and nine or even nine and eight and miss the playoffs and their only wins from here on out are against the Rams and the Panthers. Um, I do think it, especially if the offense struggles to continues to struggle to score in crunch time, um, then I am reevaluating it a little bit more, but the way, the way that I have always framed the question of, do I want them to extend Geno Smith is okay. If I woke up tomorrow, open Twitter and found out that they'd signed Geno to a three-year extension, how would I feel? And for the first six weeks of the season, I would have been like, okay, like hope this works. Kind of hope they still draft somebody. Uh, from week seven on, I'm pretty much like, I'd be, I'd be pretty stoked. I'd be like, hell yeah. Because, um, you know, the Holy Grail in the NFL is the elite quarterback on a rookie contract. Everyone yeah. wants it. And this will probably be Seattle's, I mean, hopefully their last chance to draft in the top five, top 10 for a while. So it's like, if you don't do it this year, I don't know when you're going to have the opportunity to do it unless you get lucky with uh, another Russell Wilson or a Dak Prescott, um, where you're getting a day two guy uh, or day three guy in Dak's case that has the potential to be elite. Um I don't think that's a great game plan. So if you, if you do go with Gino, like that ship is sailing as far as the rookie quarterback goes. The other thing is let's not act like that's a slam dunk guarantee. We thought, we thought we had five great quarterbacks coming out in 2021. Yeah. You know, you had Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Trey Lance and Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. And while I was not a super Zach Wilson guy, whatever. Right. Those are elite prospects. And like, I don't know. I wouldn't put any of them in the top 10. I don't know how I'd put, I don't know how many of those guys I'd put in the top 16, if any of them, you know? And, yeah. and so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, this is not a guarantee. Cause if you do use that pick, let's say the Broncos give them the, the fourth or fifth overall pick and, and there's a quarterback there, uh, you know, young and Stroud are probably gone, but, Will Levis is going to look amazing at the combine. And let's say you draft him and he's Josh Rosen. You're yeah. fucked. Like, like you are in batch. You're, you're where the jets are with Zach Wilson, yeah. you know, where you're benching your number two overall pick. Uh, you're, you're in QB hell and your defense is too good. You're winning too many games to go get another, like that's the last place you want to be. So the benefit of signing Gino is I do think that he shows you, as this team continues to develop and if the defense gets better, um, even if this becomes a top 12 defense at some point in the next couple of years, I think you can win a ton of games with Geno Smith. That frees up the opportunity to go get a Jalen Carter or a Will Anderson with that top pick. It lets you build out the interior of that offensive line, which has been getting its asses kicked the last two weeks. Um, it allows you to attack edge rusher and outside linebacker and safety and all of these other a third wide receiver with your war chest of free agency money that you're going to have this year. So uh, <laughs> I, I do think that signing Gino gives your franchise a lot more 
um, opportunity to get better in a lot more ways than, um, you know, having to get that rookie quarterback. So uh, right now, I, th- I think the number of rookie quarterbacks that I would rather have than Geno Smith is two. And if you're not going to get either of those guys, let, let's keep it rolling. Well, it's interesting you bring up uh, you bring up the 21 draft, but you know, going into this season, that there were, you know, every single mock draft you saw preseason, every single ranking uh, list that you saw, there were five or six guys that were considered first round draft picks. This this was being talked yeah. about as a potentially generational draft, and things haven't developed yeah. that way. And and no, they're they're not looking very good. No, even you know. We went into the season, a lot of people thought Will Levis would establish himself at some point as the number one pick in the draft. And now there's questions as to whether he's worth a top 15 pick. So to your point, well, Josh, Josh Allen, Josh Allen is going to get a lot of jabronis drafted really high. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna see the big, tall guy who can move and say, we can we can develop this. guy. Yeah. You know, but but I think Josh, I think Josh Allen's a, a unicorn. I've never been a big Levis guy. So I'm uh, I'm hoping that because Seattle's not going to take Stroud or Young. I don't think they're going to have an opportunity to. Right. Um, and so I think one of the things I'm happiest about with Gino is it's not going to make Seattle feel like they got to reach for one of the other guys. It's a great situation to be in. It's it's funny now we're at that point in the season where now all the mock drafters, all the all the draft writers are coming out. Dane Brugler came out with his first one yesterday on The Athletic and McShay and Kuyper and those guys have been doing them for a couple of weeks now. None of them have this, the Seahawks taken a quarterback with either of their first round picks. Um, that's how much that's, great. that's how much the narrative has wow. changed. Yeah. Um, wow. Really. And, and plus that, you know, and we've touched on it already in the first 25 minutes of the show. Like the other needs are obvious and they're glaring. And they are, yeah. they are defensively. I, I mean, I feel like at this point, if if the draft were held today and they took anything other than a defensive uh, player, uh, they might riot at the VMAC. I mean, there might it might yeah. be like a draft day movie type where they're picketing outside well, the VMAC. You know, the the good news here is I I literally don't think there's an option. Like, there's no of all your key offensive positions, you already have your guys, Yeah, you know, there's, there's only, there's really only four positions that you would consider using a top five pick on, on offense. And that's quarterback tackle wide receiver. So three, I was thinking, you know, multiple receivers, multiple tackles, whatever, but really there's three position groups. You're not a running back in the top 10 guy. Receiver tackle. Uh, no, no. I mean, I'm not anti drafting running backs in the first round, but right. I, I do think that that 10 is, is high, but okay. Let's include that. You've already got your guy there too. So, um, you're not going to draft a guard or a center not that in the high, top yeah. 10 and you're not going to draft a tight end in the top 10. Um, and so, you know, all those positions are taken care of. Yeah, And this it doesn't look like a top boxes. 10 wide receiver class either. So uh, it's interesting. So let's talk, you just touched on something and I wanted to ask you specifically. Um, let's talk about Kenneth Walker for a second. Your, your take on him because he, mm-hmm. he got off to the spectacular start. You know, the, it, it guys were tossing around names like left and right, Barry Sanders and, and I uh, uh, heard some Marshall Falk comps, just a dynamic runner. It hasn't been that way the last couple of weeks. Do you attribute to that to issues with the, the run blocking the offensive line, or are there some concerns still uh, with where he's at in his development? 
I got no concerns about Ken Walker. Um, not to say that he's perfect. He's definitely – he misses some holes. Um, he looks to bounce some runs that he shouldn't. Um, he does that two or three times a game. It sounds like he's still kind of learning his uh, pass block recognition stuff. Hmm. That is stuff – that's every rookie running back of all time. I don't care about that stuff. I really don't. What I care about is can you hit the home run? Are you hard to take down? How's your contact balance? Kenneth Walker is elite in every single metric about that. Let's be clear. The interior of this offensive line has been getting whooped the last two games. Yeah, it was pretty hard watching Austin Blythe on Sunday. Again, yeah. He's he's fighting defensive linemen for the handoff on some of these. Yeah. Those two touchdown runs were insane. Those were insane runs. You know, uh, Bob Condotta had a great article this week. So I, I I did wonder for sure. You you know, you go and you're like, all right, here's a guy that bursts on the scene. He's averaging six yards a carry. He's hitting home runs every game. And all of a sudden, he's averaging two yards a carry. All right. What, you know, did he get figured out? Did he hit a rookie wall? Nah, oh, man. He was averaging 3.2 yards before contact uh, his first four games as a starter mm-hmm. and, and the half game he came in for a shot penny. The last two games, that's 0. 0.8. All right? You're taking three yards, uh, two and a half yards, off of every run before he's being met by a defender. He's still elite, elite. Like, he's on a Nick Chubb level in terms of mm-hmm. missed tackles forced. Um, he's one of the hardest guys, just uh, just objectively. Yeah. to bring down in the NFL already. He's 22 fucking years old. Like, <laughs> Ken Walker's the man. Like, I'm not worried about him. Can he get better? Of course, but he will. He will get better. Uh, they're not blocking for him right now, and it's really hard, and it's hard for a rookie that's always been the best athlete on every field he's ever been on by, like, you know, an order of magnitude to not take a handoff, see two guys right in front of him, and try and make something happen to the outside. He's going to have to learn that everybody's fast in the NFL and they're just going to string you out. Sometimes you just got to take the one yard loss and keep it moving. Uh, that's fine. That, that That's all coachable stuff. Yeah. Everything that I need to see in a running back, he's got in spades. It'll be interesting to see how they react to that uh, game plan wise. And in how Waldron calls a game Sunday, because there you're not going to, you you have no answers at center. Austin Blythe is who he is. It, Kyle Fuller's no better. They're they're stuck with what they have. Um, and and he's just getting bullied on that interior. It's I'm so glad he doesn't have to face Aaron Donald this Sunday. That might be painful to watch. But I I do wonder yeah. at, at what point, and I hope that they involve start to involve Kenneth Walker a little bit more in the pass game. You know, there was late late in that Tampa Bay game, he got a couple of key receptions and. And, uh, and I thought on the second Seahawks drive that ended in a field goal, I thought there were three plays in a row that were missed opportunities where Ken Walker's a little outlet w- was wide open, might've yeah. scored on all three of those plays and Gino totally ignored him and, and was focused uh, on the end zone and almost got picked twice in a row as a result of it. Um, I feel like that's kind of a, a, a missed opportunity so far that he can get more involved in the passing game. It'll be interesting, interesting to see if they, if they do that moving forward. Um, I totally, oh, I, I, I totally agree. The, yeah. the thing about those plays that you're talking about, that's nice, is they are so obvious on film. Right? Yeah. Like, there's no way in the film session they're going to look at that and miss the fact that, hey, you had an opportunity. He needs to be part of your progression. He's standing here. all by if himself at the three yard line. That's like, it. Nobody around him. That's it. Yeah. And that's those, it. those yep. were, I, I think I tweeted at the time, like, those were Russell Wilson esque plays. Those are the plays we killed Russ for over the last 10 years because we'd see yep. him every week. 
Um, and I, and I just wonder at the time I wondered aloud that, you know, maybe, you know, Gino has played so well, he's had so much success that maybe he's just getting a little greedy there. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I, the thing I try to remind myself is playing quarterback in the NFL is like literally the most difficult job. It's kind of hard. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and so, um, we've, I mean, we, we see the best quarterbacks in the world mess up all the time. Yeah, right? We saw Tom and, Brady and throw a terrible what, you know, pick against us. Best of yes, all time. Yep. Yes. Like in, like late in that game, yeah. you know, um, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers has played poorly this mm-hmm. year. Like it, it happens. Matthew Stafford has stretches even before he hurt his elbow. Matthew Stafford would have month long stretches. And I think he's an elite quarterback. He would have month long stretches where he'd have 10 turnovers, you know, like it, yeah. It, it happens and it's not as simple as like, oh, okay, I'm going to make this one adjustment because uh, every play is so dynamic. And um, the NFL, as I'm fond of saying, is the fastest live- learning organism on earth. And you've got an army of coaches spending 70 hours a week breaking down your film, learning all your tendencies, uh, and then coaching up elite alpha athletes to counter that. Like you have to be in a position to constantly adjust. And and I have faith in Gino to be able to do that. It's uh, I love the point you make about um, playing quarterback because it's, it's amazing how many fans think it's really easy. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm guilty of it too. <laughs> during Russ's years, I'm guilty of, you know, picking apart things that I saw during the game, but it, you don't have to read very far down. Well, and the, that's not to say, yeah, it's not to say we shouldn't be critical or can't be critical. For sure. Like, you but, know what I mean? I, I just, it's something I try to remind myself when I am being critical is like, okay, okay, just, just remember exactly how hard this is. Well, and if you, if for fun, you know, it, all you have to do is post in a, in a Seahawks Facebook group or on a message board, um, you know, that you think they should just ride with Geno Smith. And it's, it's remarkable how many fans will answer with, nope, let him walk, trade him, free up the cap space, draft a guy high and ride with him. I, I think people just think it's that easy. Yep, I, a lot I of them agree. Do. And yeah, the cap the cap space conversation is is its own thing. But um, yeah, you know, I think I think that uh, Gino's shown me enough that if I woke up tomorrow and read that they had given him a three year extension with fifty sixty million dollars guarantee, I would be just fine with it. So I asked for comments on Twitter. Uh, people can can react to the live stream on on my Facebook or YouTube or on the Twitter account. Uh, ask them to send him some questions and comments. And I got three comments here, all of them the same, exactly the same, which I find fascinating. I don't know if you want to respond to this. Uh, it's uh, find yourself a hot girl here uh, from Triple X eighteen Triple X eighteen online is a fan apparently. So <laughs> I said I would read comments on the air. That's, that's what we got. That's where this podcast is at right now. Uh, that's great. I love, I don't I know if that's a sign it. of success or if that means there's just, you know, room to grow. <laughs> uh, I did get a question, hey, I, you know, embrace every opportunity. Right. I did get a question last night. Someone wanted uh, your thoughts on, on just the division in general. And, and it does seem like, um, in some ways the, the window of opportunity, and and this is why it's such a, such a blessing that uh, Gino has played to the level he has and shown that he's a, that he's a quarterback you can win with, because it seems like there's a window of opportunity in the NFC West now um, with that, that maybe that salary cap bubble and that lack of draft pick bubble bursting on the Rams right now. And the, the age of their roster and their, and their better players. And then what's, what's going on with Arizona. That feels like it's on the edge of implosion any moment. Um, and then you have the Niners and the, the Seahawks on the, on the way up. 
presumably, and then the Niners, especially with the addition of McCaffrey looking as solid as ever and probably with the best defense in the NFL. Your, your overall thoughts on, on the division, not just this year because it's pretty clear cut, but kind of as it presents an opportunity for the Seahawks moving, moving ahead. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think the Rams are in hell. Uh, there's As a football fan, you know, as a Seahawks fan, it's fuck the Rams forever, right? But uh, as a football fan, I thought it was pretty cool that they won the Super Bowl last year. Like, the gamble paid off. Yeah. Um, you know, they 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 mortgaged their house and let it ride on red, and it hit. But now they're paying the taxes on that. And it's awesome to see. It's delicious. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And and if it gets so like, there's no hope in sight. It's not like, oh, well, we lost a bunch of uh, picks and, or lost a bunch of games, but we got a bunch of picks coming up or we got a bunch of cap space. Like they are in hell. They're, it, it's hard. I, I think Sean McVay truly is one of the great coaches in the NFL. I don't know how you still need the Jimmys and Joes and they got no Jimmys, no Joes, um, you know, and the, the ones they do are, are hurt. And if it chases McVeigh out of Los Angeles, that would be awesome. So yeah. I'm not worried about the Rams moving Agreed. forward. Not worried about them this year. Uh, if Stafford, Cup, and Donald are all back at full strength next year, they're going. We just saw with the Raiders what three great players can do. Yeah. Um, and I think that I think that combination is better than the Raiders combination. So, um, but I think 2024 and beyond, the Rams are not a concern. The Cardinals are dysfunctional. They're a dysfunctional mess from the Bidwells on down, uh, how Cliff Kingsbury has remained that coach this long is beyond me. Have you watched any um, of the in-season hard knocks? A, li- a little bit. Just man. enough just, to I know how imagine. cringy he is as a lead. Just listening to that dude oh, in the zero. locker room, yeah. he he sounds like, you know yeah. that you know that sideline um, audio, I think it was from early last year before he got hurt where Wilson was, was mic'd up. And all he did, it was five minutes of him going, you know, come on, believe, 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 believe. Come on, you guys, believe, believe five minutes of that right that's cliff kingsbury trying to fire his team up in the locker room it's so bad it's it's just you know, the same he's yeah i don't i don't totally, know totally he you know i mean i hope they keep him, I hope they keep him <laughs> right i actually i actually think kyler murray is really good i think i think that with the right coach um kyler murray could be like elite elite i i think he's that good Sean Payton. um i yeah mm. yeah I just, oh my god let's hope that Sean doesn't happen Payton came in yeah. Some oh seriously. As a Seahawks fan, I really hope that's the case. But I, I think with Kyler, there just needs to be a guy who is like absolutely carries more respect in the locker room than he does. And I don't think Cliff Kingsbury does that. And so Kyler all all of the good of Kyler is there, but I think all of the bad is given free reign as well. Yeah. Um you know, but I think they have really good players on that team. So those two teams I'm not worried about it. They're in a tier at the bottom. And then I think the Seahawks right now are in their own tier. It's a very upwardly mobile tier. Um, I think Seattle is good. I think they're a top half team in the NFL, which is a year ahead of what I was hoping for, like in my most optimistic projections. Love everything Seattle's got going. um, And they've got all the ammunition in the world to jump a tier. The San Francisco 49ers are so goddamn good. They are so fucking good at football it's crazy i know that they're seven and four whatever 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 how many teams on a neutral field right now and you have you have to bet ten thousand dollars on it how many teams straight up money line are you taking over the san francisco 49ers right now yeah not many but not in the nfc none two yeah 
Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with so you. Like, I'd, I'd take them against the Eagles let's, right let's now. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. This team, which is better this year than they were last year, in my opinion, overall, was a dropped interception away from going to the Super Bowl. Like the 49ers are awesome. They are in their own tier. The gap between them and Seattle is big. It's as big as week two looked. And that's going to be the case for a couple of years. Now, fortunately, Shanahan's got zero vibes also. And D'Amico Ryans is going to be a head coach somewhere next year. And that's great because if D'Amico Ryans was the head coach of that team, I, I'd be thinking freaking 10-year dynasty run um, with the way they built that roster. But uh, Shanahan – you know, his, his hallmark is that he's an offensive genius. You know, they're, they're okay this year in terms of like, like they're, they're 14th in points per drive, which is honestly my favorite offensive metric Mm. because it accounts for pace and it doesn't get too into the weeds with analytics. How many points per drive are you scoring? And we're enough games in that you've got 140, 150 drive sample. They're 14th. Like their ceiling is so much higher than that, uh, the, you know. Well, how much? That that, and that, that's what you know. When you orders. when you look ahead to where they're at, they're going to be. I was going to say they're going to be right back where they were to start this season, right? With the question of do you take that yeah. now, do you take that and hand it over to Trey Lance, who you've married yourself to, and you've put all your eggs in his yeah. basket, and now this you don't even you know. Or do you stick with Jimmy Garoppolo again? And then there's questions about his ceiling. It's it's as we move ahead. Yeah, yeah I agree. That's, that's I agree with everything problem, you say man, about the but roster, like, but it's the same problem all over again. I think I think that there are three elite rosters in the NFL, and they belong to the Bills, Eagles, and 49ers. Hmm. And we should not, as Seahawks fans, be kidding ourselves about what it's going to take to win this division over the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, man, all good stuff. Jackson, it was great to have you on the show. Finally. Uh, we'll definitely have to do this again. Yeah, No kidding, man. Um, and, uh, I'd love that. If you, if you guys haven't read field goals, if you haven't been to the website, if you haven't read his cigar thoughts, call him, it is absolutely, uh, required reading. And I, I will say this, uh, not to blow too much smoke, but when, when I first started reading you, I hadn't seen a picture of you. Didn't know anything about you this a couple of years ago. I don't know. I thought you were 50 years old. I thought you were closer to my age (laughs) because of your ability to use words, which is an underrated skill for a writer, the ability to use words and and to, uh, I really appreciate that to take your thoughts on a football game and put it in sometimes poetic form. It's really, really fun to read. And, and it's, uh, you even cause me sometimes to look at the game a different way. And, and then, of course, the, the podcast to go along with it, Cigar Thoughts. Listen to that. You can find that through Field Goals. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N-B-E-V-E-N-S. Got to make sure we get that right. That's or right. at Cigar Thoughts. Uh, and, you can, uh, and you can follow him there. Jackson, thanks for joining me. And uh, we'll do this again soon, all right? Dan, I'm so glad that we were able to connect on this, man. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm absolutely happy to come back. All right. Awesome. Uh, I will be back after the game on Sunday for the Rapid Reaction Show. Seahawks Rams, 1 o'clock kickoff, SoFi Stadium in L.A. It's a quick little trip down and back. Um, Let's see where they fit in the NFC West, in the playoff race uh, after that game. And let's see if they can put their foot on the throats of a team that's struggling right now and get themselves back on track. Until then, I'm Dan Vienz. This is the Field Goals Podcast. Thanks again to Jackson Bevins. We'll talk to you soon. 
Thank you.